The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. He acts like someone who doesn't care about our democracy. He acts like someone who wants to be uh, a dictator. This is a president who's really pushing to really unify power in the executive branch and really go at the kind of checks and balances that have grounded American democracy for a long time. So although it kind of feels like a stale uh, a presidential race that might feature Biden versus Trump again, I think that's a mistake. This is a different Donald Trump. This is a radicalized Donald Trump. A second Trump term takes us on the path to chaos, breakdown of authority, weakening of the presidency, and predation by America's foreign enemies. We are really at a, a, a real uh, cross-section of whether we're going to be for democracy or, 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 uh, or, or an autocracy or a dictatorship. His very first priority is going to be to bust up the legal system of the United States, because if he doesn't, he probably goes to prison. Uh, I, I don't even want to imagine uh, a situation where he has won. I think we have to do everything we can um, to stop him in terms of, again, the kinds of things we've been talking about, working in a very nonpartisan fashion. But I also, Rachel, think about it from the perspective of, of my kids. You know, I grew up in a country where I didn't have to wonder if we were going to have a peaceful transfer of power in mm -hmm. the United States. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, my God, maybe they won't be able to say the same thing. And, and that is why it's so fundamentally important that we, we ensure Democrats, independents, Republicans, that we, we work together, we vote together, we make clear that Donald Trump is not an acceptable alternative. He is not the lesser of two evils. He is a completely unfit man for office. He's already shown us what he would do, and he can never be near the Oval Office again. So. It seems crazy to ask this and even crazier to fathom it, but do you believe if Donald Trump were elected next year that he would try to stay in office beyond a second term? I, he would never leave office? There's no question. There's you think no he would question. try to stay in power forever? Uh, absolutely. I mean, he's already done it once. People need to begin to think seriously, how do we stop this? How do we prevent him from winning? How do we communicate the danger to the American people? We're, we're going to be successful at making sure that he's not, uh, not elected president again. It is just uh, unquestionable at this point that that man cannot see public office again. He is not only unfit, he is destructive to our democracy, uh, and he has to be uh, he has to be eliminated. These are some brain sick people that, you, you know, you wonder now if we've reached a point where there are no more quiet parts. They're just saying it all. We've tried everything. Now, I mean, we've, we've got to eliminate him. And, and how about the funny bit, too? The, the talking head a asking Liz Cheney about, do you think he'll stay in power forever? He's already done it once. Once? So he's going to stay in power forever twice? How does that work? You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show. You can get to the live video stream of this show at TrumpetDaily.com. Also, also, don't forget about our Rumble channel. Just go to Rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily and you see an active live chat going on already. 
Make sure you leave us the, the rumble thumbs up to up our ratings at the channel. Of course, you can get to this show every weekday, a replay of this show every weekday evening at 8 p.m. in the central time zone of the United States. So a few days ago, Robert Kagan, he had this, this uh, I think it's a 7,000-word article at the Washington Post. A Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. So you can see, you can see the method at play here or the strategy calling him Hitler over and over again, that justifies any means necessary to eliminate him. They are stopping just short of calling directly for an assassination. And this article, the Washington Post piece, it's got uh, an image, a graphic, the bust there, it's got Caesar on top, and below you've got Donald Trump's face as well. Makes you think of that... uh, that play in Central Park during the Trump presidency when they were stabbing him in the play. He was, he was made to look exactly like Donald Trump. Why would Robert Kagan or whoever helped him with this graphic include that with the article? As if to do we know how the Caesar, the Caesar plot finished? Do we know how his reign concluded? All the elites ganged up on him and betrayed him, and stabbed him in the back, literally. I mean, this is unbelievable. These brain-sick, deranged people. Matt Gates tweeted, he's in Congress, a member of Congress. He said, they're obviously green-lighting assassination. Or else, why would they include this graphic? These people, you listen to Liz Cheney, you listen to all of them. And, and the thing of it is, I mean, Chris Christie let off the cold open All these Republicans, there's supposed to be another debate tomorrow night. I'll just say that now so that Sam knows. These Republicans getting together, Donald Trump is not there, and they just just pretend, they go along, really, with the ruling class. They go right along with them. Jen Psaki, the Obama lackey, she's got her show now. She was the spokesperson for Joe Obama early on in the fake administration's uh, first couple of years, I guess it was. And then she, I mentioned that Fox News clip over the weekend where they, they had to fact check Donald Trump because he talked about the election steal. I mean, you listen to Fox, the way they approach this subject, and then you listen to, to, to Saki's pandering approach with her, her uh, particular show. I mean, it tells you everything you need to know about what happened in 2020. Of course they stole it. And Donald, uh, Donald Trump, to his credit, he keeps saying it. And they can't stand that. L- listen to this. this uh, I guess this passes for, what, evening news? It's the Saki clip, number five, I think. But this weekend, Fox News did something kind of a little bit surprising for them. I'm just going to play this moment for you. Here it is. He said, we've got a red button on my desk, he said. I said, I have a red button also, but mine's bigger, better, and it works. Mine works. And then, no. Well, the former president finally got around to some campaign promises amid lots of cheering, as you heard. Many untruths. The 2020 election was not rigged. It was not stolen. It was not rigged. It was not stolen. See, Fox News is capable of saying it. Good job. Good job. 
Not only did the network cut away from a Trump rally where he regurgitated the same lies and disinformation he's always spewing, they also fact-checked it in real time. Wow, and, and Saki's happy about this. Fox News was in on the steal from the beginning, calling Arizona before, before everything had been counted. I think before the polls had even officially closed. Arizona, or if not, it was close thereafter. In any event, it was a razor-thin margin, and there was Fox News with uh, the Democrat, the Democrat operative leading, leading the situation desk or election desk, whatever they called it. Who can forget? Fox was in on it, and they, they're, they're just so eager to concede, to give up so much ground, just like James Langford in his exchange over the weekend on the Sunday shows. Just, just let George Stephanopoulos establish the, the narrative, the false narrative, let him come after Trump, get Trump. And then comes this Washington Post piece. I told you yesterday, you've got, uh, what, the 24 journalists at The Atlantic? Jeffrey Goldberg, he's another Obama lackey. He's just delivering, he's delivering narratives for Barack Hussein Obama. So you've got 24 journalists telling you how we've got to do anything, anything possible to destroy Trump over the next 11 months. We've got to, even assassination is justified, says this Kagan piece. To, this is the Washington Post. They're obviously greenlighting assassination. Sundance over at Conservative Treehouse. He, he notes that the Post is owned by uh, Big Tech Amazon and is effectively the PR firm for the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. He says, no one inside the D.C. Beltway does not understand this basic truth. I mean, this is, some, uh, this is some third world banana republic stuff we're talking about here. Sundance says here, therefore, when the husband of State Department official Victoria Newland, that's who Robert Kagan is, when uh, he, he writes an op-ed in the CIA newsletter, that's what the Washington Post is, says Sundance, effectively calling for President Trump to receive the Julius Caesar treatment, the non-subtle message is for the CIA to repeat their Kennedy performance and kill President Trump. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Like I said, there's, there's hardly any silent parts left. Look at that graphic at the Washington Post. Caesar, a bust of Caesar and Trump. It makes you think of what, as I said, of what they did several years ago. During the Trump presidency, all the calls to kill him, to blow up the White House. Listen to this montage from a few years back, clip uh, two. It's an actor dressed to look just like President Donald Trump as he's assassinated on stage. Look as his character is stabbed to death. And there's no mistaking the Trump connection. Check out the unbuttoned overcoat and red tie that hangs over his waist. It's a staging of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar that is outraging many. The controversial production is taking place here in New York City's Central Park. The staging is being seen as a direct jab at Trump and the controversial political climate in this country. This all comes on the heels of that outrageous image of Kathy Griffin holding the severed head made to look like Trump. Yes! I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Yeah. 
you remember seeing any of those kinds of things going on during the, the dear leader's years in office? The dear leader under the guillotine? The dear leader being stabbed to death on stage? I mean, that sort of thing would have resulted in the perpetrators being put in prison. I mean, it's a, it's a crime to threaten the President of the United States. In this case, that was during the President's years. Now you've got Kagan coming out. His wife works in the State Department. She's a deep stater. And you've got the Washington Post, the mouthpiece for the CIA, putting an image of Caesar. Caesar Trump. Julius Trump on the front page of this article. 7,000 words. I mean, there's a lot of things in the Kagan piece where he says the silent part out loud all throughout. We're going to take to the streets if he somehow manages to win. Uh, All the checks that are in place, you know, they don't work as well. And he even has a passing reference to the dear leader saying, uh, you know, Obama was uh, actually able to go around Congress. So we should be worried. What if Trump goes around Congress? What if the deep state's not able to stop Trump? And so now they're floating these ideas. Matt Gates is right. They're obviously green-lighting assassination. We went through that Victor Davis Hanson piece just the other day where he said why they're panicking. I mean, we've talked about <laughs> 2024, war in 2024. Well, it's getting a head start on the next calendar year. I mean, this is get Trump on steroids. Victor Davis says here again, the reason the media and politicians are terrified is that they're convinced Trump would do exactly what they would do in his place and what they would do utterly, suddenly horrifies them. They've done all these things, the abuses of power, persecuting political opponents, putting them in jail even, impeaching, indicting, trying to, trying to put Trump behind bars for 700 years. And now they're in a full, full-fledged panic mode because... They fear that that despite all these things they've tried to do to destroy Trump, to get Trump, to stop Trump, that he might still be voted in by a majority of Americans. Byron York at the Washington Examiner, he says the anti-Trump alarm goes off. Around this time in 2015, well, basically, he just says, you know, it's, it started, remember in 2015, Dinesh D'Souza had a, had a wonderful <laughs> montage in his movie on Trump's victory in 2016. All the talking heads just ridiculing Donald Trump. The dear leader himself said, Trump will never, he'll never be president. And then... Uh, and then uh, the video, as Dinesh D'Souza played in his documentary, showing the talking heads exploding the night that Donald Trump shocked the world. He says here, now we're seeing a repeat of the events of late 2015. Put all those surveys together and it's freak out time again. Here are four examples. This is Byron York. He, he speaks of the Washington Post article by Kagan. We'll get to that. In just a moment, I'll give you some excerpts. He talks about Liz Cheney making the rounds, saying that we've got to do everything possible to stop this this coming dictatorship. We're sleepwalking into dictatorship, says Cheney. 
Then the Atlantic, special issue, 24 journalists. Jeffrey Goldberg, I mean, Obama must have picked up the phone and said, Jeff, we got to have the whole issue of the Atlantic devoted to stopping Trump. And then the New York Times, for its part, this is from yesterday, why a second Trump presidency may be more radical than the first. <laughs> you read between the lines in all of these, and you see not just that they're panicking, but they're, they're worried that Trump's going to bring, back, bring some retribution with him. That's the word they keep us using. They know. They know they're guilty of all this criminal behavior and that they might finally be held to account. Byron York says, of course, you've heard things like this before. Still, the timing and dire nature of the warning suggest another collective realization has moved through the commentary class. There's a revealing moment in the Kagan article in which he bemoans the fact that in 2024, Biden, as a president seeking re-election, will have to answer for the nation's problems. He's the man in charge. Imagine that. The president having to answer a sitting president, as he seeks re-election, having to answer for runaway inflation or for the wide open, the invasion at the border, or having to answer for the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, or having to answer for why all these wars suddenly, Ukraine, Israel, Gaza. Says here, Biden faces a bigger challenge, Kagan argues, because he's running against a former president. This is a quote then from Kagan's piece. Most incumbents can at least claim that their, their opponent is too inexperienced to be entrusted with crises because, you know, he's never been president. Well, for Trump, that's not true. He, he does have a record, a four-year record as president. It says Biden cannot, on Trump's watch, listen to this, there was no full-scale invasion of Ukraine, no major attack on Israel, no runaway inflation, no disastrous retreat from Afghanistan. It's hard to make the case for Trump's unfitness to anyone who does not already believe it. And so Kagan believes he's unfit. Even though he lists off, he, he's making a strong case for Trump with just that paragraph. No runaway inflation, no disastrous withdrawal, all these wars. Trump didn't start any wars. Trump didn't send $100 billion overseas for foreign wars. Trump didn't open the border and just let everyone in. There's that footage going around yesterday of all these, these uh, illegals coming in. A couple of the tweets said they were, they were Chinese. I mean, they're just coming from all over the world. It's happening under Joe Biden's watch. That's right. And Biden, in 11 months, he has to answer for it. Well, you know what so many Americans already think. We've, we've been playing the clips. Kagan says here, this is from the Washington Post piece, let's stop the wishful thinking and face the stark reality. There is a clear path to dictatorship in the U.S., and it's getting shorter every day. In 13 weeks, you got Super Tuesday. Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee. The other Republicans don't, they don't seem like they're going away quietly. They're, they're, you know what they're waiting for? DeSantis and Ramaswamy. Now, he's at least, 
he's at least had a lot more support for Donald Trump's policies than any of the others. But Haley, DeSantis, and the re- they're hanging around because of articles like this one from Kagan. Because they think somehow or another, they're going to get Trump. They're going to eliminate Trump, and then I'll be waiting in the wings. They know they have no chance of beating him at the ballot box. But they're hanging in there, in, in the case of Christie, calling him a dictator too. How can that not at least make you defend someone in your own party? A dictator. And here we've had the dear leader getting away with, as we chronicle in America Under Attack, great again, all these dictatorial policies that he put in place and then bragged about it. I got a pen and a phone. If Congress slows me down, I'll go around Congress. The dear leader can say those, those kinds of things. The dear leader and his people, they can talk openly. They can laugh about decapitation and guillotine. Guillotines, decapitations, stabbing, stabbing Julius Trump in the back. Talk about blowing up the White House. How's that not a crime? That's a celebrity out in public saying, you know what, I, I've really... And she's one of a few, not a few, of many that said those kinds of things, that threatened the President of the United States. This uh, article, for many months now, we have been living in the world of self-delusion, rich with imagined possibilities. It says the magical thinking phase is ending. Barring some miracle, Trump will soon be the the presumptive uh, Republican nominee When that happens, there will be a swift and dramatic shift in the political power dynamic in his favor. Establishment Republicans have made no secret of their hope that Trump will be convicted and thus removed from the equation without their having to take a stand against him. Establishment Republicans, you know, the good old rhinos that hope deep in their heart of hearts that before he ever can become the nominee, he's convicted, he's put in prison. He's eliminated, to use the word that Congressman Goldman used. I mean, these people, like I said, they're brain sick. They were calling for violence. Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi, for her part, I just don't understand why there aren't more uprisings all across the nation. Well, she got them in the summer of love. Maxine Waters said, you get up into the faces of those, those Trump supporters. You get angry. You shout them down. You run them out of the restaurant. When when is the last time any Trump supporter, you know, put together this, this model of a guillotine with Barack Obama or even just Joe Biden? Has that ever happened? Would that happen? You think the deep state would let that, would the DOJ let that happen? says here, all this will end once Trump wins Super Tuesday. Votes are the currency of power in our system, and money follows. And by those measures, Trump is about to become far more powerful than he already is. The hour of casting about for alternatives is closing. The next phase is about people falling in line. Notice he just sort of skates right over the votes. You mean voted in? by a majority of people, and, and that's the path to dictatorship. This is what they're all saying. 
This is their echo chamber. Dictatorship, tyranny, Hitler. So what, what will they stop at to destroy him? Nothing. They'll do whatever it takes. You, you can see where this man coming in the spirit of Jeroboam is going to need some help from above. And, uh, of course, 2 Kings 14 says that that will come as well. It says here, Trump will not only dominate his party, he will again become the central focus of everyone's attention. Trump will thus enter the general election campaign early next year with momentum, backed by growing political and financial resources and an increasingly unified party. Can the same be said for Biden? Here again, I mean, you read between the lines, I mean, he's making a pretty strong case for Trump. But he hates Trump. They all do. They're never Trumpers. Rarely in American history has democracy's inherent messiness been more striking. Trump is running against the system. Biden is the living embodiment of the system. Advantage, Trump. (laughs) It's making a good case. It says, which this brings us to Trump's expanding legal battlefronts. Talks about them trying to take him out with lawfare. That hasn't worked. He says further on, I mention all this only to answer one simple question. Can Trump win the election? The answer, unless something radical and unforeseen happens, is of course he can. If that weren't so, the Democratic Party would not be in a mounting panic about its prospects. They're panicking. Victor Davis Hanson is right. I mean, this statement here squares with that. If Trump does win the election, he will immediately become the most powerful person ever to hold that office. Now now you see suddenly they're, they're a little bit scared about the power of the presidential office. You saw Barack Obama, with the help of his deep state just, and the judicial system, just removing any restraints that could possibly hold him back as president. Now what happens if Trump gets in there? <laughs> well, look at what they did in, you know, from 2017 to 2021 culminating in a, a fake insurrection just to try to destroy him and his followers. It says here, will a future Congress stop him? Listen to this. This is so rich. Will a future Congress stop Trump? Presidents can accomplish a lot these days without congressional approval, as even Barack Obama showed. Yeah, the dear leader. He accomplished a lot without Congress slowing him down because he just, he just uh, did it with his executive action. He just did, or he just didn't uh, apply the laws with respect to illegal immigration. Just let him in. Who cares what's on the books? It says here, the one check Congress has on a rogue president, namely impeachment and conviction, has already proved all but impossible, even when Trump was out of office and wielded modest institutional power over his part. We've tried it. We tried impeachment. We did it twice. Another traditional check. Notice this. Again, all the quiet parts out loud. Another traditional check on a president is the federal bureaucracy. Really? Now, I, we were told there, there's no such thing as a deep state. A federal bu- bureaucracy. Career bureaucrats that actually constrain the presidential office. Yes, they've become quite good at that. Here's, here's saying the quiet part. We've got the deep state. That surely the deep state will slow him down. 
says they are generally in the business of limiting any president's options. No bones about it, yeah. The deep state is there to limit the president's options. It says here, having answered the question of whether Trump can win, we can now turn to the most urgent question. Will his presidency turn into a dictatorship? Well, the odds are pretty good, says Kagan. That's why we need to have the image of Caesar on the front page of this piece. Because you know what they did to Caesar? It was for the Republic, don't you know? Well, we've got to save the Republic from Caesar. It says here, nor will it be difficult. Let me back up. It's worth getting inside Trump's head to imagine his mood following an election victory. Here they are divining what will happen, what might happen. Will worship. Listen, we know all about Trump's head. The truth of it is, Trump's been living in their heads rent-free since 2015. They have got Trump on the brain 24-7. And this is what makes them sick in the head. This is what makes them so dangerous. Trump will not be the only person seeking revenge. His administration will be filled with people with enemies lists of their own. Further on, it says, nor will it be difficult to find things to charge his opponents with. Our history is unfortunately filled with instances of unfairly targeted officials. Think about just how rich this is. The total lack of self-awareness here coming from Kagan, the deep stater, married to a deep stater. Yeah, our justice system can target officials. They can single out certain ones as being on the wrong side of a particular issue at the wrong time. Wow. They treat this like it's a newsflash. And it's happening even as we speak. It's happening right now. It says here, the Trump administration will have many avenues to persecute its enemies, real and perceived. You can't make this up. 7,000 words of this over at the, uh, the CIA newsletter that is the Washington Post. It says, think of all the laws now on the books that give the federal government enormous power to surveil people. Can you believe this? For possible links to terrorism, a dangerously flexible term, not to mention all the usual opportunities to investigate people for alleged tax evasion or violation of foreign agent registration laws. He says further on, these are all tactics the radical left has used to go after Trump supporters. Tax evade, violations with foreign agent registration laws? Of course. Maybe, maybe they can talk to Paul Manafort about that. Look at how they destroyed Mike Flynn, nearly. And look at how they've tried to destroy Donald Trump. Kagan says later on, Americans might take to the streets. That's kind of a, that's kind of a veiled threat there. I mean, it's kind of like the Molly Ball article at Time, I think. I think that's her name. She's, she's writing about the election steal, and she says that the soldiers were ready. The protesters were ready to take to the streets. And here, here Kagan says, you know, Americans might take to the streets if Donald Trump returns. This is dangerous. It's a dangerous moment. 
And so we've got to eliminate the threat. We've got to eliminate him before he gets back into office. People might take to the streets otherwise. Over at City Journal, there's a great story by Christopher Rufo. He says, the resurgence of public protests in support of Hamas has revealed a disturbing truth. The left-wing rioting following George Floyd's death in 2020 was not an anomaly, but a tactic that activists can repurpose for any cause, whether by coincidence or design. These recent outbursts could be a dress rehearsal for possible violence during next year's election campaign. You, you better be sure that if God works it out for Donald Trump to get in there, despite all the cheating and every other tactic that they use to suppress the truth, to blot out the truth, to censor. We've got an article at the trumpet.com at the moment. Obama's the one who created the, censor, the censorship machine. That's, at the, that's a featured piece right now at the Trumpet magazine or the, trumpet, uh, the trumpet.com. Obama's the one who's responsible, the dear leader, for abusing all of these powers says here, conservative leaders must prepare for that prospect. To prevent 2020 from repeating itself in 24, conservatives need to consider what might spark a riot, how it can be prevented, and how to understand and manage the politics of rioting. So here comes Kagan. I mean, that's a conservative author there, just pointing out the obvious, because we've seen it. We've seen it with Hamas. We saw it with St. Floyd. That uh, recent documentary on Minneapolis, going through all of the, the crimes that that man committed leading up to that incident with the police officer, who was just stabbed in prison multiple times, by the way. He was telling the judge before they sentenced him, look, could I, could I have a place where I'll be protected? Well, so much for that. In that case, the law enforcement is corrupt and evil and bad, and they need to go behind bars. They get stabbed in prison. Who cares? That's law enforcement. Those people abuse their power, except on Capitol Hill on the date of January 6th. Then they're, they're treated as saints. You've got St. Floyd in Minneapolis, summer of 2020, and then you've got St. Sicknick or put, the guy who shot Ashley Babbitt. He's a saint, too. Bird is his name. Killed her in cold blood. She didn't have a weapon. A woman, a veteran, just gunned her down in cold blood. Kagan, just to finish this piece. The power shift at the federal level and the tone of, of menace and revenge emanating from the White House will likely embolden all kind of counter-resistance even, even in deep blue states, including violent protests. This is what's coming, Kagan says. That's why we've got to try to remove Trump. It's for the good of the republic. Just like they did with Caesar. Should Trump be successful in launching a campaign of persecution and opposition, prove powerless to stop it, then the nation will have begun an irreversible descent into dictatorship. See, they're getting into Trump's mind. They know. They can read his mind. They know Trump's going to be a dictator. He'll get in for the second term. Oh, they'll, he'll take a third term. He'll cheat during the 2026 midterms, say the cheaters. <laughs> 
It says, with each passing day, it will become harder and more dangerous to stop it by any means, legal or illegal. What? If we don't act sooner rather than later, with each passing day, it'll be, it'll be hard to stop him, legally or illegally. Can't rule that out either. We have got to do anything we can to eliminate him. The ends justify the means. No question. That's what they're all saying. You heard it in the cold open. And so they see this image next to the Washington Post uh, article, and they think, yeah, yeah, even that, if we have to, as a last resort, maybe not now, maybe not January or February, but boy, after Super Tuesday, and, and then these polls keep coming back, showing Trump beating Biden easily, especially in the battleground states. We've got to, I mean, everything's on the table, right? If, if it's for the good of, if it's to save democracy, Hitler, democracy ending, just put it all together. Jo- join the dots. As I said, there, there aren't too many quiet parts left. They're just saying it outright. It says here, Trump insists that no doubt and no doubt believes. <laughs> Listen to this again. Trump insists and no doubt believes that the current administration corruptly used the justice system to try to prevent his reelection. Will he not consider himself justified in doing the same once he has all the power? <laughs> so the DOJ, they were, they were suppressing the truth about the Hunter laptop. They were controlling mean, Barack Hussein Obama. He's the one that started this, 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 this weaponized Department of Justice to, uh, to censor social media, big tech. What if Trump gets in and does the same thing? It says here, in just a few years, we have gone from being rel- a relatively, we have gone from being relatively secure in our democracy to being a few short steps in a matter of months away from the possibility of dictatorship. So there you go. News from the communist left echo chamber. They're all using the same words, the same language, making the same accusations, and getting closer and closer to that point where they'll do anything, anything, to take him out. This book, this book gives you the whole story, what's been happening since the middle years of the dear leader's two terms in office, what happened during his shadow presidency, when it was all things get Trump, attack Trump on every level. And now here we are today with this Kagan piece, with the special Atlantic issue, with Liz Cheney making the rounds, yucking it up with Rachel Maddow last night. Oh yeah, they're all in this together. You got Maddow on the radical left side and you've got Liz Cheney, she's a conservative. And together, they want to eliminate Donald Trump. This book, America Under Attack, make sure you call our operators today and request your free copy. There's no cost, no obligation. Just call 1-866-930-3024. When we we return, we'll conclude today's show with our Bible study segment. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. What has happened to the United States of America? 
The wealthiest, most powerful nation in human history is suddenly divided, weakened, radical. The evil in America has grown powerful. The good has grown weak. The honorable parts of American history are succumbing to a direct, targeted, sustained assault. Someone, something is dismantling America's history, purpose, and character. Fundamentally transforming the United States of America. Political dysfunction, social strife, economic peril, catastrophic moral failure, fires, attacks, riots, lies. The nation is being attacked from within by its own leaders. Powerful elites in government, journalism, academia, and beyond are intentionally, rapidly destroying what America is in order to make it into something else. There is a reason why your nation is crumbling before your eyes. There is a spirit and a specific perpetrator that is attempting to blot out America. Only America Under Attack reveals that perpetrator and the motive and spirit behind him. This newly expanded book shows you the reason why America has changed so dramatically, so suddenly. If you're confused and concerned about what is happening to America, request your free copy of America Under Attack by Gerald Flurry at thetrumpet.com. This morning in my uh, freshman Bible class, uh, we were talking about rationalism, which, which basically is the belief that human reasoning is the, the ultimate authority. And, and we got into some history with respect to education, modern education, and just how that, that uh, free-thinking spirit is so pervasive in uh, the university life today. No absolutes. As Alan Bloom said in his classic work from the 1980s, Closing of the American Mind, just a little bit of a value relativism or value adjustment. You don't want to feel guilty for doing wrong. So just change the rules and just say that what you did, the wrong was actually good. It was actually right. Just make a little adjustment. No right and wrong. No absolutes. We heard before that class, we heard a forum on where Joel Hilliker went right to Galatians 6 at the outset and talked to the students about not growing weary and well-doing and how that as we're coming up to final exams and you know term paper season is upon us and these students on campus are very busy burning the midnight oil, hopefully not too much, uh, but turning in a lot of assignments, doing a lot of study. And as Mr. Hilliker said, you know, don't don't get weary at this time, above all times, you know, really go to God for that, that, uh, that source of power from above. Look to the God of miracles. Look to the God who made the universe, who created the universe. And we're just like a little speck of dirt, a speck of sand, like on an ocean somewhere. That's what we are compare, compared to the universe. Not even that. We need God's help. We need God's guidance. And the thing about rationalism and modern education and the fact that education is, is propped up on the foundation, the, the foundation of evolution. So the whole structure is built on a lie. And God 
God has been removed from the educational system. And so you have the scholars, like Paul said in Romans 1, they profess themselves to be wise, but God says they're fools. Psalm 14 and verse 1, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. As I was listening to the forum online while getting ready for the workday, I was just thinking about what a blessing it is you know, to receive that jolt of spiritual energy to get God's perspective right there at the, the start of the day, at least for the campus here in Edmond. It's in, in the afternoon at Edstone to keep the live link going, but to get that jolt of instruction, teaching, encouragement, admonition, based on the Bible, and in the case of the forums here on campus, there's one every Tuesday morning and every Thursday morning. Obviously, we've got instruction that God gives to us over the Sabbath with services and Bible study. And then all the Bible classes that these students have, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday. It's a wonderful foundation on which to build your life around true education. True education. Satan's just blotting it out in this world. Even with respect to just traditions and history and foundational teachings or documents that govern the nation, he just blots it all out. And in large part, it's because of modern education, where you've got people, students, graduating these universities coming out, and it's just an absolute free-for-all. There's no right or wrong. There's no absolute truth. They all have their truth, your truth. No wonder, no wonder it's turning into anarchy, really. It's just like Judges 21 says. Everyone's just doing, doing what seems right in their own eyes. Just a lot, just human reasoning run amok. I mean, it's human reasoning on stair. God says in Isaiah 1, now come and reason together with me. I'll reason with you. I'll give you my perspective. Isaiah 55 talks about how his thoughts are so far above ours. We need to, we need to delve into those thoughts. Oh, the depth and the riches of that mind, as Paul said in Romans 11. The mind is not something that you want to go to waste. Psalm 139.14 says that, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. The, the human mind and body, the most wonderful mechanism, as Herbert Armstrong said, that God could make from material substance. And yet look at how many people today are just wasting away their minds, not using their minds, certainly not for godly purposes. And Satan certainly is there to fill that void. He's just pouring his thoughts and his attitudes and his evil acts and behaviors. He's pouring them right into these super absorbent minds, in particular the young people, but it's all across society. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. I was reading this book on uh, Thomas Jefferson when we were away camping a couple weekends ago. And he, he talked about, he's obviously... The Founding Father, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He talked about all of these self-evident truths, these eternal truths. I mean, for the founders, there, there was a, a set of, of right and wrong or, or a system. 
of good, evil. And so much of their thinking, the founders, so much of their thinking with respect to morality and with respect to the laws of the land, I mean, it was based on the Judeo-Christian ethic in, in Scripture. But not so, not so with higher education. All of these German philosophers like Nietzsche in the, the mid to late 1800s, spreading their ideas throughout Western education, because, well, I mean, those were, the, those were the most advanced universities of the day. And so many of the scholars in the United States and Britain flocking to these German universities, just consuming German rationalism. And it spread right through education. Herbert Armstrong was right on this from the beginning. He was way ahead of his time when it came to the problem with education today. Anyway, this, this book on Thomas Jefferson, it, it, it made the comment, the author did, that Jefferson came to know the pleasure of study. And then you read, you read the early pages of this book about what he actually did in his studies as a young man. As I say, it's pretty corrective. As we sit there thinking about how many times we've just sort of, we've just sort of uh, done nothing with our time, let's say in the evening or on the weekends, and we've just let it fill up on sports, entertainment, or whatever it is that passes the time. Nothing of real substance, that's, that's the point. Jefferson wasn't, wasn't like that. A lot of those founders, remarkable men, educated, even in the Bible, they, they may not have had their minds open to the truth of God's purpose and plan, but so many of them read and studied the Bible, including Jefferson, the one that everyone says wasn't religious or whatever. This is from the, the book. It says, from 8 to noon, the best hours of the day should be devoted to the black letter of the law. He wanted to study the law during the, the best hours of each day. It says, from noon to 1 p.m., politics beginning with Locke and Sidney, it says, in the lazy hours in the afternoon, history proceeding from ancient through modern to English, modern to English and American. Ancient history, English history, American history. This was, for Thomas Jefferson, this was reserved for, you know, the lazy hours of the afternoon. It says, the evening hours until bedtime, usually about 10 o'clock for Jefferson, should be given over to imaginative literature of all genres. <laughs> like Shakespeare. You had Shakespeare at night. You had history in the afternoon. You studied politics in the early afternoon. And then, of course, you studied the law. That's, uh, you know, he was working underneath a tutor, getting a, an advanced education and higher learning. That's nothing like what you see on the average university campus today. I had a story last week. I had have to keep pushing it back because I always have too much to go through. But it's on these college campuses that are adding uh, courses about Taylor Swift. You know, the, the pop singer. A college course on Taylor Swift, of all things. I guess on her music or, I don't know, her worldview. Who knows? I guess I didn't read enough of the article to find out. But the, the title alone is like, what, what, what's going on? What's happening here? 
our young people are just feeding on the trivial, the, the, the entertainment crazed among youths. I mean, that's what they're consuming in large dosages, day in, day out. You see it in the things that they're interested in, the things they're viewing on their phone or whatever, the things they talk about. There's an article in the latest Royal Vision. Uh, it says, teach your child to think. And in that section, this is uh, by jo Joel Hilliker as well. In that section, or in the section, one of the sections of that article, he talks about a love of learning. You know, really helping our young people to get to the point where they, they come to know the pleasure of study, of studying good things, deep things, true things. You come into the forum on Tuesday morning, you go right to Galatians 6, don't be weary in well-doing. And then Mr. Hilliker went through some of the points that Herbert Armstrong brings out in his booklet, The Seven Laws of Success. Seven laws it's such wonderful, blessed information for our young people to build their lives around. Coming to that point where you really derive a lot of pleasure from studying God's Word and from studying history and some of those things that Thomas Jefferson studied. How much pleasure do you get from studying your Bible? Have you learned to love this ongoing education? Salvation is education, as I told the students a couple weeks ago. It continues. It's going to continue. Education is going to continue long after commencement, uh, college graduation. It's, it's something that we want to be excited about for life. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can reach us, td at the trumpet. Dot com. We thank you for joining us on today's broadcast, and we'll see you tomorrow.